Well, it's uh, really good to be here. I was saying to somebody earlier that when I visit the churches that the Lord has given me the privilege to to serve, I I, I love extending the visit beyond a Sunday morning where I just kind of parachute in and preach and then then leave uh, to maybe include a Saturday like this an event because it gives a chance to actually hang out, you know, rather than just in out type of thing. So I'm looking forward to not only being able to share this with you, but to share time with you. Amen. So uh, we will be, um, like, like CB said, there will be uh, three sessions uh, here. Uh, we'll be done, God willing, right around 1230. Um, and some break time in between the sessions where any questions you may have. Uh, if you want to write questions down and just, uh, if I'm talking to someone and you can't ask me directly, just put them on the the podium here, and I'll I'll try to address them in the course of the the seminar as we as we move through it. So um, it is good to be here. Love being here, and I'm thankful for the privilege of being here. Uh, so, but I'm also very aware of my need for much grace, our need for much grace. Uh, so not as a formality, but as a deeply sensed feeling of desperation. Uh, let's pray. Lord in heaven, I am aware this morning that uh, I come into this moment in weakness. I come into this moment uh, very, very aware, Lord, that um, while it's relatively easy to deliver material, uh, it is impossible for me or any of us to apply that material in a way that produces change, produces transformation, produces whole and healthy relationships, produces uh, intact and growing marriages and fellowship and community life in the church. Uh, Father, only you can do the work that needs to be done. I can talk. These folks can listen, uh, but only you can do the work. Mm -hmm. So, Father, uh, would you please give us grace, uh, both to talk and to listen, then to apply uh, for your glory in Jesus' name. Well, as we um, get started, let me... uh, Let me just say that I am uh, grateful for the chance to share uh, some of this material with you. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to do this because I'm just aware of the fact that communication is such a vital, you could argue other than Christ, communication is quite possibly the most, the most vital part. Uh, of our life. Um, I have had through the last 34 years of ministry the opportunity to uh, do about somewhere between 12 to 15,000 hours of counseling. Uh, and in those many thousands of hours of counseling, what, I have, what I've learned is that there are, in, in this order, there are three primary needs that people have. Number one, they have a need for more of God. 
I have to share with them the character of God, the glory of God, the being of God, the the attributes of God. They need more of God. Number two, they need more of the gospel. Uh, they need to understand more of who Christ is and what Christ has done for them. And then number three, they need more help in communicating. Uh, because the, the issues that come into the counselor's uh, study or office are often relational issues. And the relational issues, yes, they, they, they need to be answered with more of God, more of the gospel. But there does come that point where rubber meets road, where life has to be done, where choices have to be made. And it's in the area of communication where the breakdown often happens. Relationships begin to uh, fracture and great heartache begins to develop. And so I have found through the years that I have had to think carefully through biblical principles of communication. How do we do this? How do we listen? How do we talk? And as I've thought on this, it's one of the thoughts that has really affected me is just the wonder of communication itself. It is just an amazing thing we get to do as human creatures. I saw an advertisement not that long ago where uh, Jane Goodall, you know, the famous chimpanzee friend, um, who you know made the comment on this advertisement, it's amazing how much like us they are, the chimps are. And I just heard that and said, Jane, um, maybe like a 40-watt bulb is like the sun. A chimp is like a human. We as human beings get to experience things through our capacity to communicate, through our ability to talk and listen, we, we can communicate thoughts and ideas and reason and rationale and emotion and love and affection and anger and all manner of amazing things. Because we are made in the image of God. Because we are made to reflect a God who does communicate. This is an amazing capacity that we have. But as as you know and I know, this capacity to communicate functions either as a knife that wounds or as a bomb that heals. Depending on how we use this ability. And as we think on it, I'm, I'm daring to say that if, if we could, if you could, if I could do a quick word search through all the files of everything that we've ever said, everything we've ever typed, everything we've ever texted, everything we've ever Facebooked, everything we've ever statused or shared or whispered or shouted, if we could do a word search, I'm, I'm guessing that we we'd be looking quickly for the delete button. Because it is precisely in this area of communication that we feel, I think, the most guilt, the most remorse, the deepest regrets. Oh, that I could have that moment again. Oh, that I could take back the words that I spoke. Oh, that I had never said that. Or, oh, that I had listened more carefully. 
and understood more deeply. I'm guessing, folks, that as we move through this material this morning, there are going to be moments where there is deep guilt, where there's remorse. So we need to start with the gospel. We need we need to start, and we're going to not just start, we're going to saturate the morning with God and gospel moments. Amen. Uh, but as we do that, we need to start right here with gospel. We need to understand, especially as I read verses like Jesus says in, in Matthew 26, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. We'll give an account for every careless word we speak. If that doesn't terrify you, you're not paying attention. Yeah, this, this is scary. God takes our words seriously. And, and if we're not gospel-saturated coming into this, and gospel-informed, and gospel-grounded, then this leads to despair. This leads to a level of guilt and shame and regret that you'll never get over. You'll never recover. See, the fact of the matter is, while we will give an account for every careless word spoken, we will not pay the punishment for every careless word spoken. Thank you, Lord. Because Jesus paid the punishment for every one of our careless words. And, and Jesus, in His life and in His interaction and relationships with people, never spoke a careless word. Every word he ever spoke was the right word. It was the perfect word. It was the complete word. It was the appropriate word. Said it was the right word, said in the right way, at the right time, to the right end, perfectly. That's awesome. And the gospel is that he died on the cross to pay the punishment for all of our wrong words and... He used all the right words. He spoke perfectly so that his perfect speech, his righteousness could be credited to our account. Thank you, Lord. So that in the sight of God, if you have faith in Christ as your Savior, in the sight of God, you've never spoken a bad word. That's awesome. In the sight of God, you have always spoken the right word because the righteousness of Christ is imputed Amen. to us. So, so here's where we stand, right? This is, this is where we need to stand. This is, we, we function here, we listen here, we seek to apply here, not, not from the place of, of how do we gain God's approval or how do we right all the wrongs that we have done or how do we, how do we fix our standing with God? No, we start from a place of approval. We start from a place of acceptance. We start from a place of grace. Amen. And then that frees us. We can look at this. Honestly, we can look at this with our eyes wide open. We can look at the sins. We can look at the areas of grace and growth and we can <clears throat> repent. And seek to please Christ, not to gain His approval, but because we just love Christ. Amen. And we know He loves us. So, Amen. You know, we're, I, I don't think there's any area of our life uh, where we, we need the gospel more uh, than in the area of our relationships and our communication. Uh, that's, that's where we feel it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, I wish I could take some things back. I wish that, oh, I wish I had thought of that right thing to say at that right moment that would have brought healing rather than wounding. Oh, we live with guilt, we live with shame, but Jesus came to take that all away. So, 
as we get started, let's, let's, let's ground it all in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we, as we move through this, here's, here's how it's going to play out. Um, there's not much new here. I think if you've, basically, in many ways, this is a study of the Proverbs, plus a few other texts of scripture thrown in. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to be original or clever here. This is familiar, familiar principles that are all too often unapplied. That's, that's really what we're recognizing here. That very familiar principles often unapplied to our lives, trying to bring these principles into a place of clarity for us and in a way that is practical for us so that we can actually do them by the grace of God. So I've I've organized this material through the years uh, with the acrostic communicate. So each letter of the word communicate is going to be a point in our our seminar this morning. And so... Uh, as we as we do this, uh, let's do the rather odd uh, thing of starting actually at the end uh, with the letter E. Uh, so if you want to just slide back in your notes to the letter E, uh, starting here because this point is is one that really needs to be in place so that all the rest of the points can can be carried out, can be applied more more effectively. So the letter E, which I'm not sure which page it is. Everyone find it there? Uh, page 6. Uh, the letter E stands for examine your heart. Examine your heart. Communication starts with a heart examination. You know the text, I believe, Mark 7, verses 21 through 23. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, and evil thoughts lead to evil words. So out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, evil words, sensuality, envy, slander. Notice all the word sins that are here. Slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and they defile the person. Jesus says it's the heart that is the problem in our communication. Did we pray? I did pray, right? Yeah, I talked about being desperate for... uh, (laughs) Uh, You you know why I prayed now. Um, All right. Just once, just sensing, okay, Lord, give me grace here. And uh, all right, so we prayed. Good, good. The Lord's going to answer that. All right. You know, you know how it is. Uh, and, and some of this material is going to be very familiar to some of you. In, in our sovereign grace context, I think we have been well taught about the place of the heart, particularly in our conflicts. And, and I want to just come back to that material, the biblical material, because it's so, so critical for us. You know, we often think that people and circumstances make us sin. When in reality, people don't make us sin. People don't make us angry. Circumstances don't make us angry. All they do is connect to sin issues that are already in our heart. 
and they fuel those sin issues already in our heart, uh, and they aggravate those things, but they don't make us sin. In James chapter 4, James writes, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. He's not talking about literal physical murder. He's talking about murder of the tongue and and murder in relationship, and murder in accusation, and murder in name-calling, and murder in all the junk that happens when we're in conflict with each other. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. This is a strong passage, a strong text of Scripture. Arguing conflict, James writes, reveals that there are very strong God-banishing, God-replacing, God-opposing cravings in our hearts. We fight because we want something, James says. We quarrel because we covet things. We long for things. We desire things. We have passionate cravings for things. And we're not getting what we want. Every argument you've ever had, every bad communication you've ever been engaged in was rooted in the fact that in that moment you wanted something you weren't getting. And and James tells us that this is enmity with God. He calls it adultery. Spiritual adultery. What does that mean? Well, it means that in that moment someone other than God is ruling your heart. It means that in that moment, you're functioning not as a friend of God, you're functioning not as someone who is on God's side and seeking God's glory, but as an enemy of God who's fighting the purposes of God in your life. And, James is saying, it's like you are cheating on God. You're committing spiritual adultery. He who is to be the supreme love of your life is not the supreme love of your life in the moment of conflict. You are. Or your desire is. And James says, repent. James says, this is wrong. And so, here's, you're gonna, you're gonna hear some magnificent poetry over, over the morning. And this is no extra charge. This is just, just cause I love you all and, and it's just, I want you to experience beauty. So here's, here's, here's the first main point in poetic form. Whenever conflict gets a start, check for the God that rules your heart. Isn't that brilliant? Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Whenever conflict gets a start, check for the God, lowercase g, check for the God that rules your heart. Whenever the communications begin to break down and argument is beginning to build up, whenever conflict gets a start, check for the God that rules your heart. Because your present tense God, 
determines your words. That which is your God in the moment will decide what you say in the moment. Paul Tripp says, whatever controls our hearts exercises an inescapable influence on our lives. I remember first reading that, oh, 15 years ago now, and just said, whoa, there, there's something to reflect on. Whatever controls our hearts exercises an inescapable influence on our lives. This works both ways, folks, for good or for not. Uh, years ago, uh, the man who... Uh, was the director of the summer Bible camp that Gaylene and I met at back in the summer of 75. Uh, a long time ago. Uh, the director named Glenn Chafee in his later years uh, contracted Alzheimer's. And uh, as that disease progressed, it affected him more and more so that he uh, was, um, you know, his, his mind simply didn't work well at all. There was one time when his wife, uh, there were guests at their home, and and uh, all of a sudden she noticed that he was missing. She couldn't find him, and eventually found him in the guest's car out in the front yard trying to drive the car away. And uh, she tried to reason with him. You know, Glenn... Um, you know, you need to come in the house. Please come back in. We have guests here. And, and none of it fazed him. He was determined to drive this car away. Until, she said, but Glenn, the Bible says you shall not steal. And at that moment, he got out of the car and went back in the house. Because he was a man who was controlled by the law of God. For decades, that which had controlled his heart, that which had ruled his heart, was God's Word. And in this moment, where his mind was not fully functioning, his heart functioned. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even more poignant was the time when uh, his wife was in bed in their bedroom and he entered into their bedroom and his disease had progressed to a point where he no longer recognized his wife. And he sees a woman in his bed and says, you need to leave, I'm a married man. So many things forgotten, but what ruled the heart exercised an inescapable influence on the life. That all by itself is worth the price of the seminar, I think, in the sense of this. Folks, what you give your mind to, what you give your heart to, what you give your affections to, what you give your attention to, what rules your heart, will determine the quality of your life. And if there are conflicts going on, if there is warfare going on, is there, if there is division and dissension going on, then we can be sure that what is ruling our heart is not God or His law, but something else that we desire. Our words are controlled by our wants. Unfulfilled desires lead to unrestrained words. We argue. 
We communicate badly because there is a desire. It's accurate to call it a God within us at that moment that is not God. And so we need to examine our hearts. What's ruling me right now? You know, you know how this plays out, right? In, in life, and um, I think it was Ken Sandy who, who took this principle in his book, uh, Peacemakers, takes this principle and kind of breaks it down and gives us a kind of still frame look at an argument. How does, how does an argument play out? <clears throat> well, it starts with a desire. And we can, we can uh, liken it to uh, me wanting a bowl of ice cream. You know, nothing wrong with a desire, perfectly holy desire. I, I think eating ice cream is a holy thing. It is, it is an act of worship. My Bible tells me that everything that God has created is good, and if it is received with thanksgiving, it is made sacred. First Timothy chapter 4. Read it, all right? And so, the reality is eating a bowl of ice cream is an act of worship if done in the right way. If done to the glory of God as an expression of wonder and amazement that He could create all the right stuff to make ice cream and then give humans the ability to put it all together into a bowl sitting in front of me at just the right temperature at just the right moment, that's a gift from God. We are to worship Him for it. However, that desire for a bowl of ice cream can cause me problems. Because... What happens is that the desire, I'm sitting in my chair at home desiring a bowl of ice cream, that desire can begin to work on my mind and work on my heart, work on my affections a bit, so that it it turns from desire to need. I, I need a bowl of ice cream. I must have a bowl of ice cream. I will not be happy without a bowl of ice cream. However it's worded or framed, I have to have it. And then that turns into a demand. I have the right to a bowl of ice cream. I I demand a bowl of ice cream. I expect a bowl of ice cream. It's not just something I need. It's something to which I have a right. And I am now turning into a demand. That turns into expectation. Mm I am going to have a bowl of ice cream. And so I turn to Gaylene and I say, Hey, hon, would you get me a bowl of ice cream, please? Expectation. My wife loves me. Surely she's going to do this for me. But she says to me, Tim, I'm sorry, I'm in the middle of something right now. I can't get it right at the moment. What happens? Disappointment. Yeah. Disappointment. The expectation gets frustrated. The, the demand, need, desire get frustrated, get disappointed. And then what does that lead to? Punishment. Argument. Conflict. You didn't get me the bowl of, I needed that bowl of ice cream. Now this, that's a light, easy, Illustration, but it plays out in hard, difficult circumstances every day of our life. We live our lives with desires that we have twisted into needs and demands, that we have turned into expectations that lead us to disappointment, 
every day of our life. And then the temptation is to punish, somehow to make this person pay. And so we yell, we scream, so we, we say all kinds of nasty things, or, or we, we pout. Whatever it is we do. But if you trace it all back, it is you, you murder and argue because you want something you're not getting. And you can, you can track it, folks, track it, every argument you've ever had. Every argument you've ever had. Trace it back, and you'll find a craving. It may be a good craving. Nothing wrong with ice cream. In fact, uh, John Calvin said, the evil of our desires is most often not in what we want, but that we want it too much. Nothing wrong with wanting ice cream. There's something wrong with wanting it too much. There's something wrong with wanting it so much that I'm willing to punish and argue and go to war when I don't get it. So we need to examine our hearts. We need to, in the middle of, and don't wait till the argument's over, do it in the middle of the argument. You and your spouse, you and your friend, you and your brother or sister in Christ, on a pastoral team, or to your pastors, or pastors to the congregation. There are moments where it's heating up, and you can feel something going on in your heart. You're getting mad, you're getting angry, you're wanting to lash out, you're wanting to fight. It's that moment where you need to pray for grace. Lord, help me right now. I need to examine my heart. Lord, Help me have grace to shut my mouth and search my heart. Because I'm about to sin in this relationship. And I know from Scripture it's because I want something I'm not getting. So Lord, give me grace right now to pause and to search my heart with this question in in view. What is it that I want that I'm not getting? And maybe you want the respect of your wife. Maybe you want the affection and love and care of your husband. Maybe that you want the obedience and respect and love of your children. It may be. It could be that you want your boss to treat you more fairly. It could be that you want your pastors to be more sensitive. It could be that you want your people to be more responsive. I mean, it could be thousand different possibilities. But when you are in that moment, and we all realize, don't we, that there is always a decision moment when it comes to these things. Always a decision moment. Your your conscience is working. You've got the Spirit of God in you. There's a decision moment. You know, where, where oh, I want to say this right now. You know, and it it can be just a split, split, split second where you know decision has to be made. Which way do I go? Sin way or holiness way? And in that moment, it's where you need to pray for grace to discern your heart. Examine your heart. And then, if there remains a disagreement, if there remains an issue, then you come back to the conversation with your heart in the right place. You You pause and you say, Lord, I confess that I have an idol in my heart right now. That I want this more than I want your glory. I want this more than I want your praise. I want my way more than I want your way. Please forgive me, Father, and now give me grace 
Give me grace to act in love rather than act from lust and desire. And then you turn to the person that you're about to fight with and say, hey, I need to ask your forgiveness because I've been feeling anger and I've been wanting to lash out, or I have lashed out, and, and I've realized that it's because I want this more than I want God, and I want this more than I want you. I love this more than I love you, at least in this moment. Will you please forgive me? Kind of changes the tone of those conversations, you think? And it's just, it's just, this is just a practical principle of scripture. James, James 4 is, you know, this is life changing stuff. This, this can alter the whole course of your life. Once you get this point, what rules your heart exercises an inescapable influence on your life. What you want determines your words. And so let us examine our hearts. Now with that, with that in mind, let's skip back to the beginning and work our way through a couple more points and then take a break. C, our first C, stands for chill. Or calm down. Or if you want to wax Shakespearean, compose thyself. Whatever works for you. Chill, calm down, compose thyself. A failure to chill pours fuel on the fire of our conflicts. Positive way to say that is Proverbs 15 and verse 1. A soft answer means a chilled answer. Means a calm answer, a gentle answer. An emotionally controlled answer. Turns away wrath. But a harsh word, an unchilled word, a heated word, stirs up anger. Here's the principle. It is very hard for someone who is mad at you to stay mad when you respond to their anger with gentleness, with a chilled heart, not a chilly heart or a cold heart, but a chilled heart in the sense of your words, your emotions, your attitudes. Proverbs 15 and verse 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife. But he who is slow to anger quiets contention. This, again, you've probably read these Proverbs before, right? But do we, do we actually say, oh, I need to do that. I need to live this way. Ephesians 4, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Paul is telling us in Ephesians 4 to chill. And he's forbidding five or six very hot-headed sins. Bitterness. That's when you're so angry over an offense that it sours and it poisons your heart and your relationship. It's, it's when my offense over your actions or words sours my thoughts about you. Poisons my ability to love you with a sincere and affectionate heart. Paul says, be done with it. Bitterness, be gone. Talks about wrath. 
The word that he uses refers to a passionate anger, an inflamed emotion, kind of a Mount St. Helens response to conflict. It talks about anger, that's wrath in action, wrath uh, acted out anger. And it can be acted out in any number of ways. He talks about clamor. Those, that's angry outbursts, yelling, volatile exchanges of volcanic type emotion, high decibel, door slamming, banging things, throwing things, screaming and hollering. It's not always wrong to be angry. It is always wrong to yell in anger. Uh, it is always wrong to make a lot of noise with your anger. Making a lot of noise with your anger is not a cultural thing or a personality thing. It is a sin thing. It's a sin thing. He talks about slander. Unnecessary negative speech about another person. I think it's accurate to define slander this way. Anytime I speak of anyone's badness unless it is needed for someone's good. Anytime I speak of anyone's badness unless it is needed for someone's good. That means even the badness of an enemy or a politician I don't like or a president I don't like. It doesn't matter. When I speak of some ill of other people, in a way that is not necessary for somebody's good, then I have spoken ill of another person. I have slandered them. I have sinned against them. It it is not an innocent pastime to speak ill of our enemies or to speak ill of politicians or leaders or neighbors or anybody. It It is a sin of the tongue. It is slander. And Paul says, stop. And then he speaks of malice. That's evil intention and meanness or ill will. All these are hot-headed sins and they destroy our relationships. In James chapter 3, James says, The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So here's the second main point in part of our wonderful poem. To keep from war, to keep from war in little spat, turn down the anger thermostat. I just had the creative juices flowing when it came to this stuff, man. To keep from war in little spat. Turn down the anger thermostat. This is a spirit-given self-control. The ability to restrain emotions and words so as to stay peacefully calm even when a storm hits. And it's time for a God and Gospel moment, don't you think? Herein lies one shining facet of the diamond of the attributes of God. He is a patient and gentle God. Remember when Moses asked God, would you show me your glory? Show me your glory. And and a little while later, 
God gives him a glimpse of that glory. And as God is passing by Moses, and Moses just sees the outer fringe of God's glory, these words come to Moses from the Lord. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. As as God reveals a little glimpse of His glory to Moses, part of that glory is slow to anger. God is not hot-tempered. God is not impulsive or explosive or reactionary or volatile or rash in His anger. All of His responses to our sins are slow to anger. They are steady, predictable, unwavering in response. It is the glory of God, part of the glory of God, that He is a long-fused, Gentle God in response to our sin. And aren't you glad He is? Aren't you glad that He doesn't respond to your sins the way you and I respond to each other's sins? He is not explosive. He's not quick-tempered. You you put it all together in Scripture and, and the feel that you have in the character and heart of God is that He does Everything he can do, I want to word this theologically correctly, but let me finish what I'm going to say and then if I have to correct it, I will. He does everything he can do for as long as he can do to bring about our repentance. And then there comes a point where it's clear in the heart and mind of God there is nothing more to do and so my wrath must be poured out in judgment. I think that's theologically accurate. The point, I hope, is clear. That God is slow to anger. God's heart toward us is not impulsively angry. It is something, it takes a long, long time and lots and lots of rebellion and stubborn impenitence to bring down the wrath of God on your head. And we know that He poured that wrath out on another. Thank you, Lord. What an amazing God. What an amazing God. And everywhere in Scripture we are called to reflect this kind of love, this kind of grace. What we have received to give. So when, you know, the word chill may sound kind of light and, 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 and make us smile, but the reality is these are deep things. These are God-like qualities. This is, this is being like God. Brothers and sisters, chilling is a choice. Chilling is a choice. I used to, I, years ago I had the privilege of teaching this material in a public school in New Jersey, Brick High School. I did it for several years. Um, and, uh, of course, being a public high school, I had to, I had to present it and arrange it. So instead of 
saying, you know, and the scriptures say, I say, an ancient Hebrew proverb used to say, you know, and I go that way, that route with it. But one of the questions I would ask was, um, was how long, I'd ask the senior students in high school, seniors, I would say, how long do you think you can go without getting mad? And I give them time to think about it. And 99 out of 100 students would answer, I can't go longer than one day. I get mad, I get angry, have an outburst at least once a day. First thing that said to me was, wow, we live in an angry world. We live in an angry world. But I pressed them, how long do you think you could go? And it was always, a, well, not more than a day. You know, again, these, the assumptions, circumstances, and people make you mad. You know, and, and the biblical answer to the question is you can go as long as you choose. You can go as long as you choose. Anger, angry, sinful, angry responses are always a matter of choice. Like I said earlier, there's always that conscience moment. It might be ever so fleeting and ever so quick and ever so short, but that moment where you're aware, choice to make. Given all that we have received, brothers and sisters in Christ, given everything we have received in Christ, given the fact that the Holy Spirit is living in us, bearing His fruit in our lives, empowering us, convicting us of sin, making us aware of the right choices, bringing life to these mortal bodies so that we can put sin to death, giving all of that, we can go as long as we choose. We can go as long as we choose. I remember when this was first brought to uh, my mind and heart with clarity and conviction. I was 14 years old and already on a path, an angry path. I was, I was, um, I was just a mad young man. Um, I would habitually just yell at people and scream at people. I was, I was the, I had three brothers and we're pretty, I was going to say we're pretty athletic. We tried to be pretty athletic. And we certainly were very competitive. And I love ping pong. And we grew up in Japan, spent 10 years in Japan. So we kind of learned the ropes of ping pong uh, in that culture. And I would I would play my older brothers in ping pong. And, and uh, over time, I got to be way better than them. But at, early on, they, they would beat me. And, and I'd get mad. And I remember one time I, I took my paddle when I was done with losing again. And I walked up to my, my brother Dave and I did, boom, right over his head. Just, just, the thing just smashed in my head. You know, you know. Uh, in, in high school on the tennis team, my, uh, my coach had to provide me a constant flow of new tennis rackets. Because in the course of one year, I think I broke five of them, not because I hit the ball so hard, but because I hit the ground so hard in anger and frustration. So one day, this young man in our youth group walked up to me. His name was Bill Levely. Bill walked up to me and said, Tim, um, do you know that no one in the youth group likes being around you? I thought I was Mr. Popular. I thought I you know, had it together. Uh, I said, what do you mean? He said, you are so angry that everyone just wants to stay away from you. Mm-hmm. I remember going home that night. And as a, at that point, 
either a brand new Christian or it was clear the Lord was just beginning to work His regenerating, transforming grace in my life. And I remember going home that night and laying in bed thinking, that's not how I want to do my life. It's not how I want to do my life. Lord, give me grace. Somehow change me, transform me. And that moment of clarity, that moment of self-awareness brought about by a young man who the last I heard was in jail, not a believer himself, came to me. I don't know what his motives were. I don't think they were love. Came to me to bring criticism, but in that moment there was clarity by the Spirit's grace. And there was there was conviction by the Spirit's grace. And there was a choice by the Spirit's grace. This is not how I'm going to do life. And I'm here to tell you I'm 57 now, so that's 42 years ago. I There aren't 10 times in my life when I've had an angry outburst since. Now, there have been plenty of times when I've had sinful anger expressed in different other ways. But I'm just here to tell you that God works. And He can work in such a way that you there, there comes a decisive moment in your life. This is not how I'm going to do life. I'm going to live the calm life. I am going to practice chill. There will be moments of great temptation. There will be moments of great sin. But as a lifestyle, as a way of interacting with people, as a way of loving people, I choose chill. And I choose to calm my heart by the Spirit's grace. I remember the time when I was um, back in Jersey and uh, one of the there was a couple in our church. They were in their 70s and both of them at that stage of their life were uh, clearly suffering uh, either early Alzheimer's or some measure of dementia. And it was, they were both troubled in different ways. Um, but I got the call from him where he said, Tim, you've got to come here because I'll call her Mary. Mary is out of control. And I heard over the phone Mary yelling and screaming. You could just hear the the angry hysterics. And so I jumped in the car and on the way over I'm thinking and praying, Lord, what am I going to need to do here? This this seems like I may need to call 911. I mean, there was that kind of level. And I get in the house, and I find Mary at that point way in the back corner of the dining room behind these tall bushes, plants that they have, still hysterical with rage and anger and just fury. And I'm again getting ready with the phone. Do I, what do I do here? Um, and what the Lord kind of gave me to do in that moment, and I was probably 20 years younger than I am now, uh, as a 37 year old walking up to this 75 year old woman yelling and screaming. And I just went up to her and I said, Mary, be quiet. And in 15 seconds, she was quiet, sitting down on the couch, talking with me. 
what just happened here? I mean, it might have been an act of God, uh, but it was also an act of the will. It was a choice. In that moment, she chose. She chose. Friends, no matter how temperamentally inclined you are to be explosive, the reality is that chilling is a choice. And chilling is a lifestyle. The scriptures say that the grace of God that brings us salvation teaches us to renounce ungodliness, ungodly outbursts and clamor and temper flare-ups. It teaches us to chill. Secondly, or third, and we'll take just a couple more minutes here. We get to O. (coughs) Open up. Open up. As as we just before we go to there, uh, there's one other uh, thought I had on that the chill, and, and one other illustration that I th- I think you can relate to. Um, uh, you know, you're you're at home and and uh, you have little kids, and it's dinner time, and you're frantically trying to get everything done. You know, you're the the husband coming home and doing whatever you can do to help put food on the table. You're the you're the mom doing whatever you do to put food on the table, or you're the mom coming home from work and you're trying to get food. You know all that stuff going on, and then little Sally spills the milk in the middle of all this stuff going on, and you just lose it. You just you just start throwing a temper tantrum. You're it's Mount St. Helens. It's it's explosive. It's nasty. You're 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 yelling at, at little Sally. And then all of a sudden the phone rings. What happens? Exactly. You are you are in the middle of a volcanic eruption and the phone rings. And you pick up the phone and you say, hello. (laughs) What rules your heart exercises an inescapable influence on your life. In that moment, well, two moments before, what was ruling your life, your heart? A desire for life to be ordered. A desire that your kid would be more careful. A desire that this would go more smoothly. And a desire to vent. To let the kid have it. The phone rings and what rules your heart changes. Now what rules your heart is your reputation. What rules your heart is a desire that other people think well of you and not badly of you. And in a split second, you move from angry outburst to calm voice because the heart changed in that moment. It's that quick. You say, well, I just had to vent. No, you didn't. Apparently not. Apparently not. You chose to vent. You chose the outburst. You chose the sin. God's grace comes to us and says, here is strength to choose the right path. Here is strength to choose self-control. So, chill, 
and then open up. Tell you what, let's take a break. I think we've gone 45, 50 minutes. Let's take a break. And uh, are there a, is there anything announcement-wise at this point? Okay, just hang out. Yeah, t- let's take about 10 minutes here. Uh, and if you have any questions or thoughts, please feel free Thanks, to. Thanks, Tim. Yep. Excellent. Yep. <laughs>